Turn to Hebrews chapter 1. Jesus is better than angels. Uh, the writer of Hebrews is taking on everything that people have tried to say was better than Jesus. He's going to take on the Aaronic priesthood. He's going to take on Old Covenant. And the whole book is going to show us why Jesus is best. There are no superlatives beyond him. And he picks up the subject in chapter 1. He's greater than the prophets. And he describes that and tells you why in the first three verses. In verse 4, he mentions the fact that he is superior to angels, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Then he begins, and he gives at least five, he uses about ten verses, but I group them five different comparisons why he's greater. Watch. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. And he goes on in chapter 2, 1 through 4, and he wraps up why he is greater than angels and how we will be held accountable to be responsive to him. Let's uh, say just a few things about angels. Angels were being worshipped in the first century. Colossians he tells believers there, stop worshiping angels. Uh, there was a philosophy among Gnostics, an early heresy that the book of Colossians deal with, that said God was too holy to come in contact with human beings. So what he did, he spun off a series of lesser beings, angels, other gods, even Christ was included because they said a pure God cannot come in contact with impure mankind. They said that a body is evil, material is evil. 
So they had this whole pantheon of gods that went down, down, and down until you can get a subordinate god or being that can come in contact with us. And many made Christ that lesser being. Uh, There's a controversy in church history called the Arian controversy that Christ was spun off, that he is a created being, a lesser being than the true God. And so he's coming and he's dealing with this. Christ is greater than angels. He's worthy of more honor than we ever give to angels. I was reading a commentator by the name of Guthrie, and he said he and his wife went to a bookstore drinking coffee. Uh, It was like a Barnes and Noble situation where they had all kinds of uh, books. And he said, out of curiosity, he wanted to see what was on the bookshelf that dealt with the subject of angels. He said he was amazed to find 85 titles dealing with angels. Uh, Some of you might be reading them. Uh, Ask Your Angel. That's one of them. Angelic Voices. There you go. Angelic Healing. Angel Magic. These are some of the titles. Autobiography of an Angel. Isn't that interesting? An angel wrote a book. Meditating with the Angels. And then, of course, TV, Touched by an Angel. I've met a lot of folks that are touched. <laughs> but I'm not sure of who touched them. Uh, uh, they, they've got a magazine called Angel Times. Uh, and it's recounting the numerous modern attacks with angels. New Age uh, is full of angelic worship and wonder. And let's talk about angels. Where did they come from? They were created directly by God. They are not a race. They're not procreated. They were individually created by God. There are millions upon millions of spirit beings called angels. They have intellect. They have will. Uh, I assume they have emotion. Uh, They are able to travel at incredible speed. They can assume a body like in Genesis 18, they show up to Abraham appearing in a body. Uh, now, what's interesting, out of all in this order of spirit beings, there's ranks. There's archangels, which means chief angel, Michael, Gabriel. We see angels that are overseeing countries in Daniel, overcoming reg- uh, actually overseeing particular regions. And you read that in Daniel 7, Daniel 9, Daniel 11. Uh, Notice there is one called the anointed cherub. Notice that. If I put I am, cherubim, the I am in the Hebrew is plural. Isaiah saw seraphim, and there's cherubim, spirit beings. But this category, the anointed cherub, is only one of its kind, singular. And according to Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, Revelation 12, this anointed cherub was called Lucifer, the son of the morning, the, most, uh, the highest 
order, the highest rank among angels, that even when Michael and Satan got in a battle over the body of Moses, whatever, I don't know what the whole battle, I think Satan wanted to uh, maybe get them into idolatry, maybe to worship the body of Moses. But according to Jude, Michael and Satan engaged in warfare over the body of Moses. And Michael knew he was outranked and outpowered, so he said, not even Michael tried to wrestle with Satan, but said, the Lord rebuked thee. Remember that? Jude 9. He, he acknowledged the ranking, thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, seraphim, cherubim, one anointed. Now, according to Isaiah, this anointed one who was the head over all spirit beings, he said he covered the entrance to the throne of God. He was kind of like uh, uh, the chief of staff, as it were, for other spirit beings getting access to God. But according to Ezekiel, he trafficked. He uses that word traffic, kind of weird in King James. The idea is he began selling. He began merchandising. And what he began to merchandise was this idea, I ought to be able to get a promotion. I ought to be able to go up. I will put my throne above the throne of God. I will ascend. I will. I will. I want to go up. And he convinced one-third of the spirit world that he should. You see, the first sin wasn't selling cocaine. And it wasn't selling women. It was selling yourself. That you ought to run things. That you deserve a promotion. That you ought to go up. And one-third of the spirit world said, that sounds right. You should. And they followed Satan. And God cast them down. And in Scripture, we don't have time to develop it. There's five times they're cast down in Scripture. Five steps down. Trying, he said, five times I want to go up. God has five steps of putting him down until he winds up in the lake of fire. Cast him out of heaven. Locked him into the air. He's going to cast him to the earth in the tribulation. Eventually bind him for a thousand years and finally put him in the lake of fire forever. When you want to go above God, you're going to go down. So spirit beings are all over. Uh, according to Ephesians 3.10, spirit beings are probably in attendance in this service. He said in Ephesians that they observe the church to see the manifold grace of God. Spirit beings are in this room. I, I don't know how many fallen spirit beings might be here, but I do think they go to church. In Revelation, they had a synagogue that demons controlled. The synagogue of Satan. The devil's always in the religion business. You'll find more devil connected with religion than you will with a brothel. If there was no devil, men would go to brothels. Because sin nature. Did you know if you bind the devil for a thousand years, people will still lust, kill, and murder? They do it for a thousand years during the tribulation. They still break out. They still war without the devil. You by yourself are a mess. 
We are incorrigible people apart from God. They will even raise their head against Christ during his thousand-year reign and rebel, and he has to put them down, and there's no devil to contend with. You're the biggest devil you have to deal with. Some folks, you know, like Flip Wilson, the devil made me do it. No, you did it. You did it. I grew up with folks. We had a devil behind every bush. We had a tobacco demon. We had an alcohol demon. We had a wife demon. We had, you know, we had money demon. We had demons for everything. No, I'm the demon. Me. The lust of the flesh. If there were no devil, you'd need all the help you can get. Now, I don't want to mess with you too much. That's depressing. Let us see why he wrote Hebrews 1. We're going to see five things. He, we're going to group some ver- these verses he puts together, taken from Psalms, Deuteronomy, and 2 Samuel 7. And we're going to see five things in which he says, Jesus Christ is superior to angels. The first thing he says, Jesus is greater than angels, for he is called the Son of God. Notice there, you are my son. Today I have begotten you, Psalms 2-7. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son, 2 Samuel 7, 14. He said this of a Davidic heir. It wasn't Solomon for sure. Solomon forfeited this blessing, but it looks to an heir from David's loins, the Messiah. You will be called a son. Now let me talk to you a little bit about the term son. The term son is used of angels as a group. Job said the sons of God sang. As a group, angels were called sons, directly created by God. Israel was called God's son that he called out of Egypt. So the nation was given that title, a firstborn son. And then uh, you have us, when we are born again into the family of God, he calls us sons, which means adult treated. You'll be treated like adult sons. You're given status in the family of God. But when it speaks of Christ, he's called the only begotten. Now, when we hear the word begotten, we think of procreation. But here's the word, monogenes. Only one of, only kind, only that word mono. And genes is a genre, category, class. said, He is the only one of its kind of son. He is in the only class there is of this kind of son. So when God calls him son, how long has that been? From eternity. But it was revealed in time in his incarnation. He made it revealed. It was revealed and declared at his resurrection in Romans 1.4 that God wanted everyone to know, this is my beloved son. Uh, We are in a filial family affection. I love him. We can't even compare more than any dad ever loved a son. This has been my beloved son from eternity. He's a son. Angels are servants. He's eternal creator. Angels are creatures. And when you say he's a son of God, How are you thinking, occidentally or orientally? Occidentally, we always think of chronology, procreation. But 
when they used it orientally, if I said you were the son of, many times, son of Belial, they called Christ the son of Belial, right? What did they mean? That Satan fathered him or basically you share the nature of Belial. If I was to use street language and not to be graphic or vulgar, if I use the term you call a guy a son of a, and if it's a perverse woman, a bad woman, what we're trying to do is you got the character of your mama. You share her nature. They don't even know your mama, but if they think you're bad, they're going to call you the son of something bad. And so when Jesus said in John 5, 17, God is my father, the Jews who understood the language, they picked up stones to stone him because he called God his father, making himself equal. Now, Jesus could have said, no, 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 you misunderstood. Put the stones down. You misunderstood. Instead, he goes on to say, oh, you understand completely. Let me tell you something. The Father's always existed, so have I. Uh, the Father can resurrect, so can I. Matter of fact, the Father's not even going to judge. I'm going to judge. I am God. See, this sermon get me killed by a Muslim audience and get me thrown out of the synagogue in a Jewish audience. This is Christianity. We, Christianity is how you feel, and you know all the songs. It's who is Jesus Christ, first of all. This is what Christianity is. Have all the other stuff you want. Oh, I love that. So I love. Who is Jesus? And are you treating him like who he is? It's what he's telling the Hebrews. First of all, he's called Son of God, the Spirit world. Angels are called creatures of God, never sons. Then he goes on. Again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels' winds and his ministers a flame of fire. Number two, he is to be worshipped. Angels are never to be worshipped. Now, uh, here, watch out for the cults. They love to take this term firstborn, firstborn, and they turn it into uh, chronological. It is used 130 times in the Old Testament of the firstborn son, physically, first, firstborn animal. So it is used of chronology. But it is also used as a term to designate preeminent position. Uh, to give you an example, let me ask you some Bible questions. Uh, who is the first son of Abraham by Hagar? Who? How many say Ishmael? How many say Isaac? Good. Ishmael. You remember Sarah wanted to help out God? Have you ever done that? Yeah. Ooh, you're going to help fulfill the promise? Oh, let's just bring Hagar in the bedroom tonight. We fulfill God's plan. Yeah, well, you're still fighting with all the descendants of Ishmael right now. It's never ended. Helping God out. Well, his firstborn son who got an inheritance, who was blessed by Abraham, was Ishmael. But according to Hebrews 11, Isaac, he called his firstborn. Not first in order of time, 
but he is highest favored. He gets the bulk of the inheritance. He is the preeminent one. He's the head of the table. And this word firstborn, which we use in Scripture, Colossians, he's firstborn of all creation. You know why? He's creator. He's in the highest rank in relation to all creation because he created all creation. Not he's the first one born. The cults love to tell you he's the first one to begin. No, 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 no. He has the highest rank. He is of the highest position. He, it's used that way all the time in Scripture. So he sends the firstborn into the world, and he tells angels to do this, worship him. Never did he tell us to worship any spirit being. When you're told to worship someone, he has to be God the Father, God the Son, or God the Spirit. See, we worship a triune God with different roles, compound unity, one God, three persons. You know that, don't you? One, he's one in nature, essence, but there's three distinct persons. So, he's to be worshiped, they're not. Thirdly, he goes on to say, but of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Of the Son, he says, your throne, O God. Does he call the Son God? Look at uh, Romans 9, 5. Romans 9, 5. Speaking of Israel and all their privileges, to them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is a good teacher a nice man, less than God, anathema, who is God? Can I hear you out there? Is he? Is he God? He's said to be God. C.S. Lewis made the famous statement, he's either God or he's a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. How can you be a nice man and lie about your identity? Now, you know why people don't call him Lord? They don't have the Holy Spirit. Nobody's got the Holy Spirit that doesn't call him Lord. 1 Corinthians 12. No man can call him Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, I've been with some Holy Ghost folks. They talk about everything but him. Dreams, visions, jump in a pew. And this and that. Hey, tell me what you think of Jesus. Who is he? What about you? If a cult stepped in this room right now with you and your Bible, could you show them where the Bible says Jesus is God, not just a spinoff, not just the first of a kind. He is God. Here's a chapter loaded. He is called God. Titus said, our great God and Savior, Titus 2, 11 through 13, Romans 9, 5, John 5, 17. You, we, you need to know the Bible says he's God. 
John 1, 1, 14, 18. Oh, I'm just rattling. It won't do you any good unless you look at it and understand it. This Jesus, don't keep him a baby. Aslan can roar. He's a roaring lion of the tribe of Judah. He's strong. He's mighty. He's not a wimpy Jesus. He's not frustrated. Nothing's out of control. He is sovereign. He is Lord. He is going to dominate the nations. We will win. Not the Muslim world. Not the communist world. He will win. They may kill us in the meantime, but he shall reign ere where the sun runs. He is a sovereign God. We're not trying to give away a poor, wimpy Jesus. This is the Jesus that when the maniac of Gadara and the man of Legion, when everybody has tried their secret formula to get the demon cast out, and they flee, they're beat up, the chains are broken. All of a sudden, this meek and lowly Jesus comes up, and this man is inhabited by two to 6,000 different spirit beings. That's why he's called Legion. When Jesus comes, please leave. Please leave. When he showed up, demons started screaming from afar off. Go, Jesus. Go. Well, I'm just a teacher. I'm an anemic God that I hope you like. Oh, no, 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 no. You demons, I created you. You rebelled. You're dealing with God. You remember when Satan came to tempt uh, Jesus? He said in the Greek, since you are God, turn these stones to bread. When's the last time you were tempted that way? You're just trying to make a peanut butter sandwich. You can't turn any stones to bread. But when you're God, you can It's not a temptation if you can't do it. Jump off that pinnacle. God's going to have angels, Psalm 69, to sweep under you. Jesus could have said, I don't need angels either. I'll fly if I want, but I'm here to do the will of God. I'm not here as an exhibitionist at a circus. I'm here to walk in the will of God. It's not the will of God to jump off a temple pinnacle. He said one final thing. He said, why don't you worship me? I want your worship. I deserve your worship. Let's eliminate the cross. Let's eliminate Golgotha. Let's eliminate Gethsemane. Let's eliminate these five wounds you're bound to get. I tell you, I'll give you the kingdoms of this world if you just will worship me. Get behind me, Satan. I came to do the will of God. And he gave that power to his people. He said, if you'll submit to me and resist the devil, he'll flee from you. James 4, 7. Is that wonderful? The devil that used to torture you, warn you about death, keep you walking scared. Now the weakest child of God could say, in Jesus' name, Satan, get behind me. And the devil says, If God hadn't given them James 4, 7, I'd laugh at them and say, who do you think you are telling me what to do? I said, I just, Jesus, my my commander and captain said, you've got to obey. Right right there, say, just read him. When you pray, just read him the verse. Sometimes he doesn't get it. Do you? Submit to God. Now, a lot of you right there, you stop because you know when you're in rebellion, don't ask for help. He's not going to help you rebels. You've got to repent. 
But when you get right, then you just say, Satan, you've been torturing me, creating fear and havoc. I resist you in the name above every name. And he will flee. Well, oh God, he is called God, and he said he's going to be one who reigns, and God has anointed him. When you use that term, anointed, they used it when they set aside a priest, a prophet, a king. They would put the flask of oil on them, and it simply meant inducted into the office, set aside, authenticated as God's choice, God's choice. And he said, above all of his companions, I've set you aside, Jesus, the anointed. That's what Messiah, when you say Jesus Christ, our Lord, let me tell you, Jesus is the word Joshua, God with us. That's Emmanuel. Joshua is Jehovah saves. Jesus, his human name, is the Ha-Mashiach. He's the Messiah, the anointed one, who is Lord. So when we say Jesus Christ, our Lord, human name, divine office, Christ, the office of Messiah, and he's not only Messiah, he's deity, he's Lord. That's who he is. Now, he goes on to say, you Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Um, Jesus is the eternal creator, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They all wear out like a garment, like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same in your years will have no end. If you do not believe he's the eternal creator, I doubt you would ever want to believe he's the redeemer. You see, the Hebrews were surrounded in Canaan by polytheistic religions, and they all had a different explanation for creation. Flood. There's many flood tales in many cultures. They have them on the walls of the caves and so the flood was known worldwide, different explanations for it. But to the Hebrew, to the monotheist, to the divinely chosen nation, they always started with our God as the creator God. He is eternal. He's going to outlast creation. Creation is his handiwork. It's subject to him. And here we are today, we, uh, because we as Christians live among so many pagan theories and they're taught best in our schools, and I'm afraid they're taught by film, uh, hearing about this latest film. I finally saw Noah. I'm up to date. Still sick of it, depressed. It's just great cinematography wasted in the message. This is not my God. And now I hear this exodus, and I hear there's, there's all kinds of things. See, what's scary to me is young people are getting their impression and information by video, by film. 
If, it, if, it's, if it's a film, it must be almost true. Because when I don't read anyway, this is the media. Do it this way. Either give me a film or text me, and that might be true. And so, what's truth? This is the way Hollywood portrayed Noah, Exodus, whatever. And, and then here we are in the classroom. This is constant debate. They didn't have this. There were no evolutionists back here. Not among the Hebrews. And so, here we are today saying creation came from space, time, chance, and the big impersonal nobody. It either blew up, uh, it crawled out of something, something back there, something back, but there can't be anybody intelligent. There can't be a real person. That just, that just doesn't make sense. You know, that's how all computers were made. Just keep going back far enough and poof, and there's IBM. There it is. Oh, I know the secret. Rent a garage. And get Steve Jobs in there and get Gates. And then you get all creation. Or we're over here with this confounded, out of date, out of step, hated atheistic view with an alternative that says, and you go all the way back. Oh, you're at a million years. Oh, you want an extra million? Okay. Squillion. Okay. When you get back there, we understand from the Bible there's a person. And when we find out who this person is and what he can do, we say he can do anything in any amount of time he wants. He doesn't need billions, millions of years that the atheistic evolutionary model demands. You've got to have lots of time. Because you see, evolutionary, they grow up with a theory called uniformitarianism. Kind of nice word, isn't it? Uniformitarianism. And they do this. They will observe erosion. Let's say uh, Grand Canyon. They'll see how deep the canyon is, and they will observe now how much it drops how much the water you know, flow, the level keeps dropping. They'll calculate that at whatever rate. Then they read it all the way back. This is the uniform model. Then you take it back, and it's uniform. Everything has happened like that because they don't believe in supernaturalism. They don't believe God can break in. There can't be an exodus. There can't be a flood. The only thing they may believe is supernatural is angels, but there cannot be a loose supernatural God, creator. And here it says, God the Son is the eternal creator God that someday will take creation and take it like an old dirty shirt and throw it in the trash can. I'm done with it. Now, I don't think you ought to throw banana peelings on the highway. I'm an ecologist in that sense. But I don't know how much money we ought to waste trying to keep ice up in Alaska. <laughs> how much money will it take? Uh, and, and I think we ought to uh, not waste water. 
we, ought to, we, we ought to be good stewards of God's creation. That makes sense. We don't want to waste what God's given us. I mean, that's, that's not right. Adam and Eve were to told to take care of the earth. We ought to take care of the earth. But I'm not going to hug a tree. Uh, you know, some folks won't hug a tree, but they'll snort a weed. Isn't it amazing? Let me tell you something about drugs that's amazing to me. In the order of creation, plant life is way down here, isn't it? You got plants, then you go to animal life, maybe reptiles. It's down here in the chain. So if we come up here, we got mankind. And in man's rebellion against God, and the further he gets away from God, the folly of our sin and our bondage is we've gone all the way back here so that we're worshiping the plant world. We got to have the plant world to make it. I got to get it fixed. <laughs> I, uh, I've talked to him and said, I've snorted away a fortune up my nose. I know a man, his nose still bleeds many times because he snorted so much coke. The plant world. You mean the plant world tells you what to do? I got to have some booze. I can't make it. Why? Why do you need booze? I'm a wreck. I, I can't make it. I, I need a shot. I needed this. Uh, where, where did you develop that? Going away from God. Going away. From, and God said, I'll turn you over to the basis thing. You'll be amazed at what I'll let you worship when it's all over. I never stop worshiping, but it won't be me. But he says of the Son, he is the eternal God that someday will wrap up creation like that. He'll ignite the flame, according to Second Peter, burn up this entire earth, everything in it. It will all pass away. And the only thing from the earth that will last is people. Carolyn asked me what I wanted for Christmas. I said, I don't want another shirt. I don't want another sweater. You know what I want? I want God, my wife, my children, my brothers, my sister. I want relationships. I want people that I'm going to spend eternity with. And since Elizabeth has brought her three children, if any of you have a place I could stay for a few nights, I'd appreciate it. So she's out now. I can say that. So going right on, our final point. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? He's saying the picture here is the picture of a monarch's court. And Christ is sitting at the right hand of the king, which usually meant equality. It's the highest position, shared authority. He's on this enthronement place, and in the courtroom are these spirit beings going around waiting on deity, waiting on God. And it's an interesting thing. He says he makes his enemy his footstool. In uh, Bible culture, when you conquer the people, you always put your foot on the neck of the king to show subjugation. You are conquered. And here Christ, God the Father, says, 
I'm going to make all your enemies into a footstool. You just rest your feet on them. You're going to eliminate them. They're going to be put under your feet. And then he says, he is the enthroned deity. Angels simply work for him to minister and serve his people. And he says something here remarkable. It says, they're sent out to serve for the sake of those, and in the Greek it goes, who are about to inherit salvation. It's a Greek about. Now, I take that two ways. I used to always take it, uh, they're about to be saved initially. And it's probably broader than that. Salvation, how many are you, how many are completely saved here? No, you're not. You don't have a glorified body yet. You got something else coming. Ah, I love it. Good, good. You're two-thirds saved. You're saved from the past. You're being saved. But guess what, honey? You're not going to be spending eternity in that wreck of a body of yours. You got the third installment coming, and he's sending angels to wait on you in the meantime. And I take it all the way back. His elect, you know, God does know who he's going to save, Right? I think they even ministered to us before we ever got saved. How many nights were there in your life you should have never made it home? I think of my brother and I being in Long Beach. I always think about I nearly drowned there with him and my cousins. Basically drowning, they wouldn't help me. Uh, they couldn't hear my screams. I was freezing in the air. I was yelling for help. They couldn't hear me. And I said, God, I'll serve you if you'll spare my life. And I did for three days. How many ever had any of those experiences? I had some idiot one time said, let's go play chicken on Dam Road. When they first put in the Dam Road, there's a good strip there. So let's play. And I'm the passenger. I can't even drive. But I'm an idiot. Yeah, let's go. Let's go see if we kill ourselves. Uh, man, I'm glad we got home. I remember one time with living in San Pablo, uh, a guy came to the door, and I stepped out to see him, and he had a gun in my side and said, let's go do some stealing. Well, wow, I wasn't expecting that. I mean, uh, I was scared to death of the guy without a gun. He was tough, way over my head. But then when he put a gun into me, I'm going to go basically wherever he wants. But you know, of all things, my dad, right, he read his Bible over at the uh, table, after the dishes were done, he, he'd do his night study there and read the Word. And out of nowhere, I'm there. I, I'm stuck with this hood that is bad trouble. I want you to go with me, and just to help you get in the mood, I'm going to put a gun into you. And, and uh, I said, wow, you know, I'm, what, uh, yeah, okay. But all of a sudden, my father just, uh, for some reason, opened the door and he said, uh, hello, young man. And the guy put away the gun, whatever, didn't see it. And uh, uh, Dad, uh, let's say Gary. Gary and I, he wants, we want to go out and do this. He looked at this guy and said, you ain't going anywhere with this hood. Now, that was a day when the dad was in charge, even of the hoods. I wanted to kiss him. <laughs> he just saved my life. As far as I was concerned, angels were watching over you before you ever got saved or you would have already died. They've been watching over you, watching over you. A wonderful family story we love to tell. My dad was an iron worker. 
and up on a project. I don't know how many boats of electricity going. Supposed to have been cut off. Everybody's watching the job. And uh, Mr. Biggie, everybody's guarantee, all these guarantees. And my father's up there. I don't know how many feet he was in the air. Uh, throws this uh, steel cable over. Uh, hits these live lines. The sparks flies, burns the choker in two, and everybody on the ground's waiting for my father to fall. Enough electricity went through to roast him and to kill him. And they'd put up all these gears. Oh, it's locked. It's turned off. It's this and that. When all the sparks cleared, and the man should be staggering, my dad just raised his hand and did this all day. All night, angels watching over me, my Lord. I said all day, all night, angels watching over me. They didn't do a funeral for LJ that day. God had an angel on the job. Angels are out there. You don't know how much God is telling them to do for you. Aren't you Mr. Magoo getting through life? You don't know what you're doing. <laughs> bump, bump, and, and then all of a sudden you get there and say, oh, he's a genius. No, he's not. He's got God taking care of him with all these ministering spirits. We are being cared for by the sovereign on the throne, and he's dispatching angels to watch over his people. They're not completely saved yet, but it's coming, honey. It's coming, and he's watching over us in the meantime. That's what he says. Well, it's too good and I'm too late. You know what? There's no big application to this until you get to next week, chapter 2. He says, how will you ever be able to escape a God like Jesus? If this is who God sent, how do you think you could ever escape unless you flee to him? I pray you'll adore the Christ of Christmas he is not in the manger. He stooped low enough to get in a manger, but he's sovereign. He's been raised. He's enthroned. He's coming. He's powerful. He's your Savior. He's your Lord. Father, I thank you for your word, for the magnificent picture of Jesus. May we not get caught up with anything connected with church that diminishes him. He is Lord he is head of the church with all of its faults, weaknesses, and whatever. He is Lord. We find no fault in him. If anyone's here without a Savior, without a Savior, all they've got is the vanities spelled out in Christmas, the stuff, the tree, the Santa, some reindeer running around here with a red nose. Get us back to this is who God sent to Bethlehem. God the Son, greater than angels. God bless you.